Welcome back to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. As always, you're joined by your four hosts, Lawrence, Jack, DC, and of course, myself. This episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be splitting this episode into two segments. Uh, Jack will go over that very shortly, but we obviously wanted to live up to the promise of an episode every Wednesday, and we're not going to let you down. So as always, what I figured I would do is I'm going to pass around the mic, see what these boys have been up to, but... I'm going to throw it over to Jack first because I heard he lost the battle of the hack squat. And not only this, he can give us a reasoning for this uh, episode. Yeah. So, I mean, if we, if we measure this session outcome by just the hack, sure, Lawrence won. But I mean, if we measure the session outcome by who, who was stronger in the majority of exercises, then the gold medal goes to me. <laughs> well, mate, it's interesting you mentioned gold medal because it's like the Olympics, who wins the 100-meter sprint? Everything else, no one really cares, do they? It's all about the big dance. Fair enough. Well, fortunately, we're both bodybuilders, so we don't have to quite compete at this stage. That is true. That is true. But I won't, let, I won't hold you up, mate. You can answer your question. Okay. So, yeah, today, uh, a couple of us will be away next week, and therefore, we want to do an extra long episode today of about an hour and a half, and then we'll split it down the middle. And uh, DY, DY will run the first half, I'll run the second half. So uh, for you guys, it'll be a week in between. For us, it'll be about a minute or two. And I'm happy to, to give a recap of, of my past week as well. So I, Lawrence and I trained together last week. It was a great session on, on Thursday. And indeed, he was a little bit stronger than me in the hack. Emphasis on, on just a little bit. And I, it was a great session i think last time we caught up as we said was about two years ago yeah I, anything else to add about that session lawrence no it was really good mate and um just for those playing at home it was three reps on the top set <laughs> but you know i wasn't counting or anything like that but no it was, it was a really good session i and think i doubled your load on the back extension no yeah that is fair though i was talking about that with my mate i was saying like telling him how i beat you on the hack and then i was like it's worth noting though that he was literally doubling my my load on the back extension with more range of motion. I still can't quite understand how you're able to do that. And you did have an extra plate on the single leg leg press. But even, with that aside, you know, I had the hack. I had the Let's hack. concentrate but, on, on, you know, the main movement here though. Come on. Yeah, man. exactly. Let's just <laughs> feed my ego and just concentrate on what I was better at. Um, but no, it was really good, mate. Like, I think it's always a good opportunity to just see how far you can really push yourself. And obviously you had another uh, gastrointestinal event, which I'll let you speak about, which is the second time it's happened with us training together. And I don't necessarily think we need to chalk that up to being like, oh, it was so hardcore, like mm. Jack's nearly vomiting. I think it's probably just because you left the pre-workout meal a little bit close to the session. Yeah. Um, one thing I find so funny is like, if you follow like Mike Isretel, like he always posts like a video in his carousel of a leg day. And like the last one is him like dry heaving over a bin or a toilet and i'm just like look one like i don't know if you're doing that so often i think there is something more than just you training really hard and also like why do you need to film that i'm sorry like i do not want to see you dry reaching i sure as hell don't want to see you vomiting like just don't don't that's just poor well, I yeah, think within Mike Jotel's sort of programming style i'm pretty sure he has this sort of progressive model where it's like week four of his training block, you know, he's performing much higher. It's like at a, at a set basically every single week from my understanding. Four drive protocols. Yeah, one of the protocols that he puts forth. So I can imagine by that last week, 
your volumes are just so damn high that that's probably coincides with when he's recording himself and putting mm. up a video of him just dry reaching into the into the bloody bin yeah it's definitely not that appealing but it, it did i didn't get to that point fortunately i had to take a little bit of a rest break on the ground and a couple of people found me there kind of contemplating life and it was just because I ate a little bit too close to the workout about an hour earlier than usual. And um, yeah, combined with that lactic acid and trying to like get blood flowing to my skeletal muscles and not the digestive tract and therefore felt a little sick. Fortunately, I, it wasn't on the hack. It was mainly on the back extensions combined with like moving my head up and down, which yeah, got to me. What sort of weight were you moving on the, on the 45 degree hyper? I was doing, uh, I think, was it, I think 44 each hand. Yeah. Yep. For like 15 so, to 20. Heavy man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice kind of little movement that segues into the RDL. I guess they both segue into each other, which is good. Must be like a common occurrence to nearly vomit with Lawrence. I remember when I trained with him last, when I were in prep, I, I nearly carked it too, but ended up pulling through. I didn't show any emotion. I said, Hey, let's keep it going. Nearly. Yeah, I think- when I spoke to Alana, she was telling me that you got home because it was on a Sunday. I remember and you, she, you said you just got home and was just like nap mode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, during the session, it like started hitting me, but I knew you were in prep and stuff. So I didn't want to like slow down the workout. So I was just like, I just kept going set for set with Lawrence and I was like holding it back every single one. I was like, holy God, I'm about to go. S- similar thing to Jack though. I think I just had pre-workout meal weight. I, I tried to like, you know, have more carbs than I probably should have than what I was normal uh, for me. And then I was like, you know, what? I got to have an epic session, took like double scoop of pre. So like too many carbs, too much caffeine. And it just wasn't a good time, but yeah. <laughs> Ended up losing the battle to Lawrence as well on the hack squat, but, but I did prevail on the deadlifts, this which done true. me in, which done me in real bad. This is true. We'll have to deadlift sometime, uh, sometime soon, mate. We'll re- re- we will correct that. Yeah, it just accidentally hit me knee a couple of days ago. It's going to put me out for another half a year at least. No, but um, who won the battle last time, Jack? Uh, uh, when you went about two years ago. Don't tell me Lawrence topped you then as well. No, I think Jack would have probably had me on the hack. Ooh. I would hope so because I yeah, was you were in at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think like all in all, like we are quite similar strength on certain movements. Yeah. I think that... Like, man, your single leg strength on that leg press is a joke though. Like, like I did three plates aside on that pre-call leg press for a set of 10. And I was, you know, that was a pretty good RPE for me. And then Jack throws like another plate on each side and did like a set of 10 to 12. And I, I was literally telling him the whole time. I was like, I don't understand how you're doing that. Um, I think you have a very unique ability to just really grind. And it's almost like, when most people would see your RPE six, they would think of that as like an RPE nine, but Mm. just, I think through your experience and your skill of knowing where you are um, relative to your ability is like, you know, that you can take a few more. And that's why I think it's really good to train people who are maybe better at that than you, because it tends to show you that, Hey, you maybe actually have a little bit more in your training. It definitely wasn't as much of a, uh, uh, rude awakening as it was in some of our earlier sessions i felt like the intensity that we train at is a lot more similar now which was good yeah for sure and 
I mean, just to comment on that, like I, I still don't feel like I train as hard as other people I see, like even AJ. And I think that's what keeps pushing me to always level up and training with other people like you as well. Especially when, if you're stronger than me at hack squat, obviously I'm going to go to zero, pretty much failure on the hack to try and keep up with you. So it's good. Wasn't enough though, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Oh, no, it was a great session. session. I'm looking forward to, and as we said, it won't be as long between drinks for the next one. So uh, whether with Jim, that might be it. We're not sure yet, but yes. we'll make it happen. Do you think the perception of not training is hard, you know, quote unquote, what you just said is in association with seeing someone like AJ and some of the numbers that he moves and then associating that with him training harder. Cause I mean, you, mm. you, you, you train pretty damn hard. Right. And I think sometimes yeah. we can associate with someone who might be stronger in certain lifts and go, Oh, they must just train harder. But I don't think that's generally the the consensus. Like, like mm. if you know, if you're taking these sets to to zero to one RIR most of the time, training with adequate volume, and you're progressively doing this, you know, each and every day, it's hard to say whether AJ would train harder than you. He just might be stronger. Right? Mm. Strength is all relative, but it can give us that perception like everybody's training harder than what we actually are. That, yeah. that said, like it is important to check yourself and go like, am I just taking the piss or am I actually training training hard? But mm. yeah, I think you got to give yourself a little bit more credit there. Well, yeah, thank you. I, you definitely raise a good point. And yeah, sometimes maybe I'm just using that as an excuse as to why he's stronger than me, but sometimes people are just stronger. Genetics. Yeah, <laughs> Genetics, yeah. we yeah. just run that one, all right? It's the pre-workout <laughs> he took. Yeah. What about you, Lawrence? How was your week? Uh, mate, it's been pretty good. Yeah, so obviously great session with Jack. Nice to see Tierra as well. And uh, just catch up with them a little bit. So it was always good. I'm holding down the fort at home a little bit at the moment. Mum and dad are both away. And now that my sister's moved out, it's just kind of me solo at the house, just trying to keep everything afloat. And it's interesting. You definitely realize how much stuff in the background just gets done. And then when you're the only one there, it's definitely a bit more responsibility to take on. I must say we had a little bit of a calorie increase. So carbs are up to 600 now, 250 pro, 80 fat. And the appetite is still good. But the desire to eat has been diminished a little bit just because my tooth has been hurting the last couple of days. Like I think, like we spoke about like the other week, how I'd sort of gone to the dentist and my wisdom teeth are coming through, but it's not really much of a drama. It's like, as soon as I said that, this like left top one has just started to hurt. So every time I eat a meal, I'm like, like, I don't really like I'm the appetite is there enough to eat it. And I'm not like, you know, having to force it down, but it's just not a very enjoyable experience at the moment. So I need to try and get onto my private health so I can get back to the dentist because I don't really want to go back because <laughs> I'm scared that it's going to be a big, big fee if I'm going to have to pay it out of pocket. I recently went to the dentist for a tooth issue as well, and I didn't have private health. So I got quite a rude awakening. Do you have it now? I do, but you got to wait like three months, depending on the insurer and stuff like that that's the thing that I'm here. It's like this sort of grace period. I'm like, bloody hell, like how long is this going to be? But yeah, it's one of those things. I think it's, it's definitely well worth it, especially if you need like dentistry and the, probably the big thing for me is just like having the hospital cover, like just not having to grind it through the public system if anything bad happens, but like, yeah, it's, it's not cheap. Hey, like it's, um, it's just I one of those things. You're always going to have to pay a fair bit for it. I didn't even get the hospital to be honest, because I just wanted to, like physio and dental were the ones I was aiming for. It's just sort of, of chance it, mate. You've got two parents <laughs> for doctors. They'll be able to throw something together. 
speaking of um of dentistry like i remember in 20 2020 season a when i tried to compete but covid canceled anything everything um i think it was a couple of months post show i actually went to the dentist and the dentist was like do you grind your teeth and i was like oh, I, i've never really ground ground my teeth like usually that's that's not the case and I've just noticed within within my contest preps that it's almost like a stress response that I get. And I actually do start grinding just even throughout the day, like walking on the treadmill, training. And it's definitely worn down my teeth, which is quite interesting because you know, obviously the the stress, uh, the stress response that you get within a prep is quite profound, right? Particularly towards the tail end. And yeah, I just started grounding, grounding, ground, grinding my teeth. I don't know if you guys felt that at all throughout your contest prep. I'm going to see DC walking in there with like a mouth guard, like, like guy Sisterino does when he goes to do his hack squats, he like gets his mouth guard in there. All right. It's time to go. No, <laughs> Not I can't. Me. Not in front of me. Yeah. Well, I have done that a little bit where like, you know, I get really hyped up for a set or it's really hard. And then like you, fo- I can even think in my head, I'm like, shit, I'm like really grinding my teeth. And I like kind of have to pull my, myself back. I also used to have like corded headphones and I used to put them in between my teeth as well, just to, hold the cord and i know it just gave me like <laughs> maybe some superpowers or something when i was doing my set but yeah i noticed that i did do that in like some of the harder sets having like either a cord between my mouth or i would find myself like grinding my teeth a touch do you remember that long jumper that used to jump with his chain in his mouth whenever he would like get ready to actually do the jump he would have like this gold chain and he would put it in his mouth and i was like that's seems a bit unwise so maybe don't be doing your top sets States uh russell russell ori i think his mm-hmm. name. and yeah. he puts yeah, yeah russ roll yeah he um he puts his chain in his mouth when he when he deadlifts and stuff but um yeah i don't know if that's ground his teeth down over time Deep hypertrophy. <laughs> who cares when you're moving fucking 300 kilograms on a back squat right we all yeah. got to get on the uh liver king teeth you got to like chew a few sticks have you seen those sled pulls that he does he like bites into a towel and he like pulls like a sled yeah right no Mate, unreal that guy is something else eh? definitely something the ancestors did <laughs> tower nor we should start opening the podcast like that what's going on primals <laughs> jesus start I've to been... reach into that carnival yeah, market a bit more half, to be honest i haven't even seen any of his stuff i've just seen like the memes that pop up with like the liver king and all that i was like damn pretty impressive for a natty yeah <laughs> huge boy what about you dc how was your week um i think i'm up to week three of this training block i've incorporated the belt squat into this program because i did it a few weeks back and i just felt like it was just a really cool piece i'd never really used the belt squat before but i'm um, progressing nicely on that piece but i think that uh, the progressions that i'm getting is probably more associated with just refining my technique with this particular movement uh, like you said, Lawrence, it's almost like that fine that fine line between, you know, you're not using your hands too much to help you to get back up within the movement, and you can definitely kind of sit back into it, but then use your arms to pull you back up. So it's trying to find that nice that balance between stability through the hands, but you know, mostly using your legs in this particular movement. Um, tra- uh, nutrition wise, I uh, my my cows have been pretty steady at this point. I've been sort of my rate of gain is around two three hundred grams per week, so pretty much where where we need it to be at this point. And there's no point in pushing in extra calories or anything like that. But I recently went and bought a NutriBullet because I needed to up my my calorie game. I'm I'm like you, Lawrence. My my hunger levels are just non-existent at this point in time. Like I could probably easily get away with eating 
once or twice a day and I would be totally fine. And this is one of the topics that we're going to talk about today, the whole, the whole concept of intuitive eating, because I felt like at this point in time, if I intuitively ate, I would probably severely under eat in my calories. But um, yeah, that's kind of where my nutrition is at this point in time. How high are your calories at the moment to the point where you need to crack out the Nutribullet? Not high, man. Not high at all. 3,700, which, which for me, like, I mean, yeah, yes, it's, you know, high comparison to some people, but um, I've definitely had my cals much, much higher than this in the past. And try it's more it. in, just in association with how inactive I am. Like I'm walking 3,000, 4,000 steps a day if I'm lucky, working behind a computer, doing check-ins for, for athletes all day and and so i'm just not getting in much movement whatsoever and that's that's what making it even more challenging in terms of pushing in you know food across the board across the day like i could mm. easily smash out let's say you know six six check-ins and be like oh i could eat but i've got i want to get into this next check-in now and it's just like unless i actually take the time to go downstairs and make food i could quite easily push through the whole day without eating anything mm. yeah, have I you think- tried the olive oil shots olive oil shots no i'll have to take a uh, page out of jack's book give that a crack man i can't think of anything worse <laughs> it's just an act of desperation but i was i was gonna say with the shakes because i i use the smoothies quite a lot myself i'm not at that stage yet though but it's actually quite hard to get in enough carbs in a smoothie because let's say you want like 150 carb in there which i would probably do because i'm on about 600 carb like you can't really just have oats because oats is going to send your fat sky high and you can't just add a crap load of bananas. I mean, you could, if you wanted to. So that's why I personally use like flour and cereal. I know it sounds super weird to add flour in a shake, but that's, that's the reason I do it. And Milo cereal too. Or when ice I, cream. I've yeah, literally, been adding, literally been adding ice cream to my shakes. Mm. It makes it damn tasty. That's for sure. But the idea yeah. is to try and push in some additional carbs and fats that, I wouldn't get in unless I was consuming, you know, some, some, ref, you know, quote unquote, bad slash refined, refined foods. Mm. One of the ones that I did when I was making like smoothies was uh, you can get like the full calorie maple syrup and like literally like per gram of maple syrup, it's literally like one gram of carb. Mm. So it's extremely calorie heavy. So if, if you need that, but obviously it's very sweetening too. So you start adding in loads of maple syrup. It's going to be one very sweet uh, little beverage. It's also low in fructose compared to honey, which is uh, doesn't contribute to as much GI upset for certain people. Yeah, there you go. Uh, for my week, I ran the deload. Um, I'm going away this weekend. Like me and Jack, we I guess we're both kind of busy for this next week. I'm going away for about four days over the weekend. Uh, I tried to line it up. Jack, we're heading away together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, it's out. We're actually training at World Gym Surfers. No. Nah. Nah, so, so I'm pretty much taking like four nights away. Uh, we're going to go to Melbourne and yeah, just chill out. I wanted to line it up perfectly with like the deload. Plus there's no posing this weekend. So I'm just going to chill out, have like a full four-day rest and then come back Tuesday and I'll be ready to go for the new program, which uh, I discuss with joe where i'm probably going to run like a pull push legs like i discussed last week on here uh he's happy he's giving me the go ahead and i'm probably going to be increasing my calories by about another 100k cows as well which would bring me up to around 3.5 thousand calories each day very nice other than that smooth sailing uh, so we've got a little couple little questions here uh, that i wanted to run past first off we're going to start with something a little bit lighthearted. if you could have any three people at your dinner table who would they be? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one to Lawrence first. I think he's gonna have some good little answers. Are we going like alive, dead, history? A- a- anything goes. You can have three people at your dinner table. Who are they gonna be? We already know that Obi Wan Kenobi is is the first <laughs> on that list. Yeah. Well, that, well, actually, to be fair, I think George Lucas would definitely be there. And for those of the who don't know, that's the creator of Star Wars. So I think he'd have to be there. LeBron James, he's definitely like my favorite athlete. And I think I've got to go Jesus as well, to be fair. Jesus. I think you can't not have Jesus at the table. You know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith myself. So I think it'd be silly not to have the great man there. So that's an, a pretty interesting three, I dare say. Some good conversation to be had. <laughs> Do any of what them actually if- want to be there, though? That's the thing. Or are you just like, are you just the one stimulating all conversation? Yeah, it's like 10 minutes and they're all like, nah, I'm going to head off. We'll cover a range of topics, though. That's for sure. 10 minutes into telling them all about your training. Oh, the other day I was training with Jack. Beat <laughs> exactly. him in the hack squad. Pretty cool hack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah. sitting there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> How'd you go on the lower back extensions, though? Lawrence yeah. is quite, oh, I think Kit was pretty limited in his day, to be fair. That's my understanding. He did manage to move that boulder, though, didn't he? In front of the cave. This is true. This is true. I'm impressed, Jack. Very good. You have to have some pretty solid legs to to do that. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's some Jack people going around back in the day. Samson, he was very strong uh, until they cut his hair. So what about one of you boys? Uh, Yeah. So, oh, God. I'd probably just be boring and keep it within the fitness space, to be honest. So someone like Alan Aragon, uh, Brad Schoenfeld, and, and maybe like Lane Norton, I think would have some really interesting conversations at, at dinner uh, and use that as almost like an opportunity to kind of learn, throw some questions around. Yeah, certainly some stimulating topics. If I had to go outside of the fitness scene, I would have said uh, Achilles and probably Zeus, again, to keep it a bit mythological there. And I'm not quite sure on the third person. Maybe I only recently learned like the history or the story behind Achilles and then like where the Achilles heel as like a turn of phrase comes from. That's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's one of, I did ancient history at school and I've always had an interest in that sort of stuff and can't pursue it as much now, but I think it'd be pretty cool to get someone from that era to actually discuss what really went on because we don't all we know from ancient history is the stuff we have available today which isn't very much in some cases what about like milo from is it milo from croton the uh the guy that that stands yeah. for progressive overload is often used as like a, a term or a an example of of progressive overload in the sense of having to carry up that that bull up that hill and as it mm. as it aged and got heavier and heavier he needed to get progressively stronger to continue to carry it up. I think it's a pretty cool story. Mm. Same with that. Eric Helms's tattoo of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I think that's CK. an awesome tat. Absolutely. Very cool. Similar to Atlas who held up the, the globe or stopped the sky from falling. I think that's quite a cool, that's often used in fitness as as different logos and brands and stuff. I think Muscle, do Muscle Coach even still exist? I'm not sure, but they used it. No, they don't. Okay, well, they used it as a brand. Yeah. It's now a power subs, but you know, that's none of my business. <laughs> what about you, DY? So mine would probably have to be uh, Kobe Bryant. I really like him as an athlete. 
I guess, like you, like LeBron James, I think he's just top athlete, everything about him. Uh, next one would probably be Elon Musk. So he can give me like, he could do like a Twitter post about Bitcoin, make me super rich. I never have to work a day again. No, nah, I just feel like that. That Yeah, I know. That man's just super smart. And just the things that he wants to do with this, just the way he talks, just everything about him. I think it'd be really interesting to actually have him at a dinner table. And the last one would probably have to be bodybuilding. And my two favorite bodybuilders would probably be either Jay Cutler or Dorian Yates. So I reckon either one of them at a table would be very interesting. Probably dish out a lot of good info. Don't have two then D Yates at the table. Wouldn't that be a bit awkward? Hey, I'm all for it though. You know, he's my great granddad. So what can I say? Other than that, let's go to this next question. This one's going to be, this one's going to be interesting. And I think I'm going to throw it over to DC because he was just touched on it a little bit ago. Intuitive eating with bodybuilding. What's your take on it? Like as a competitive bodybuilder, we're not talking about gen pop here. We're talking about you want to take your physique to the, to the top. What's, what's your take on intuitive eating? Well, I think as a bodybuilding athlete, we probably leverage a little bit less on intuitive eating in terms of our overall approach, I believe. Like there's times by which we intuitively eat, intuitively eat, and there might be on occasions where we eat out with family or friends or things like that. But often we've got a plan in place in terms of our nutrition in both the, the contest prep and within the off-season phase. So, you know, contest prep, there's no real opportunity to eat intuitively because you know, obviously we're, we're trying to measure and manipulate the variables in which we're consuming to be stage ready by you know, X amount of weeks. Within like the recovery phase, we, we definitely can't rely upon intuitive eating because our food focus and our hunger cues are just all out of whack. So if you were to intuitively eat, chances are you could, you could just not stop eating, to be honest. So, and then with, with an off-season phase, when we're really trying to, to work on pushing our body weight up as a proxy to you know, increase muscle mass and make the most of our, our off season moving into the next stage showing, you know, there's going to be times by which we, we need to push past that, that comfort of not eating as much because of like the, the premise that obviously we're not hungry. So I think intuitive eating is, is definitely, you know, mindful eating is definitely something in which we, we utilize within, within an off season, but you know, as an athlete, you can imagine if you intuitively trained, like how, how, if you just intuitively trained and you didn't follow a program and, you know, you're probably not going to make the best, the best of your off season in comparison to if you had a plan and an approach when you approach each, each individual session. And so taking that in the same sort of lens and mindset, there's going to be times where intuitive eating just isn't really uh, what, what we utilize as, as athletes, as bodybuilding athletes, because we need to be a little bit more you know, working towards a plan. What do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think often people misuse the word intuitive eating because ultimately what intuitive eating means or how I interpret it from the definitions I've looked at is you are purely influenced by your appetite and hunger cues. So if you're hungry, you'll eat and your body weight will essentially auto-regulate itself um, and you'll kind of reach a set point per se. But for example, if you truly intuitively ate and you were hungry, you would eat. If you weren't hungry, you wouldn't eat. And that kind of is, in many senses, the antithesis of, of what bodybuilding is about. Like in bodybuilding, we have to not eat when we are hungry. In bodybuilding, we have to eat when we aren't hungry. Um, and it is purely dependent on the phase that we're in. So I think if anyone tried to, they, they would be treading water quite quickly because they are uh, they wouldn't really go anywhere in essence. Like they would be purely at 
at mercy of their physiology in terms of what are their appetite, what's their appetite regulation like? And I mean, even, even trying to change your body composition intentionally, I, I think that goes against intuitive eating as well. But I'll often use intuitive eating as a, as a way of describing to clients what tracking macros and calories isn't like even though it's not entirely correct i'll often say okay let's use intuitive eating here although we're not going to um, intentionally track anything let's kind of use some structure and guidelines around nutrition to try and achieve your goals as opposed to being quite rigid in this approach which is tracking um so i think there's a bunch of different ways of looking at it have you ever tried intuitively eating with obviously being between shows and stuff like that uh, I personally haven't done the real intuitive eating, which is like judging it purely based on my appetite cues because I would either lose weight or gain weight quite rapidly. But I have stopped tracking macros for periods of time, like on holiday, but I, I definitely don't intuitively eat because I have to intentionally eat quite a lot of the food there, um, even when I'm not hungry. Does that mean like, all the people who are just living their normal lives who don't really have any goals related to body composition, are they technically intuitively eating or is the point to, you know, follow your hunger signals, but still maintain like a healthy body weight? Yeah, that's, I think we'd need to get on intuitive eating expert because unsurprisingly, I'm not one and some bodybuilding coach, but I think you are correct. Like, you can't intentionally change your body composition through overeating or undereating through intuitive eating. That's the way I interpret it. Mm. Cause I think the actual definition of intuitive eating, like you said, Jack is based on, you know, hunger and, and satiation more so like if we actually look at the definition of what intuitive means, it's basically to have an understanding or know something without sort of direct evidence. So like, for example, if, if, if I wanted to intuitively hit my protein without tracking my macros or my calories, like I would select foods that are higher in protein based on my understanding of what contains a higher protein amount. So there is, there is an element of intuitiveness that does come into all plays of an in-season and off-season. But when we actually talk about the definition of intuitive eating, it's almost like a bit of a different thing. You know, it's like, mm, it's based sure. on the premise of, of eating towards your hunger cues and, and knowing when to stop based on sort of rating, like where, whereabouts on my hunger levels am I at this point in time? And just like you said, Jack, that, that will not be very advantageous for someone like us who we need to push past periods of discomfort when it comes to, to food in order to achieve you know, a, a, desired, a desired result when it comes to the stage. I'd also say with bodybuilders, like I'd probably say 90%, probably like 80% of our bodybuilding career is pretty much in a state of being uncomfortable. Like Lawrence is sitting here and he's, you know, he's not hungry at all. He's trying to force down calories. If you were to try and intuitively eat there, he would probably drop weight, <laughs> you know, and you're in prep. And if you're going to try and intuitively eat on the back end of prep, probably 99% of the time, you're probably not going to be in shape unless you're like a bikini competitor and you've got naturally a high metabolism and you just naturally in shape pretty much year round. Like, yeah, it's one of those ones that it's very hard to try and fit into a bodybuilding lifestyle. Like sure. You might be able to dwindle it in here and there to help with like your relationship with food coming out of show or something like that. But in the end, if you wanted to be a really, really good bodybuilder, you see a majority of people sitting in that uncomfortable state nearly year round, either overeating or undereating when they're in a prep. Jack, I have a quick question for you and it's kind of on a similar wavelength. Like as bodybuilders, 
and as people who track their nutrition quite meticulously, like we're always finishing what is in front of us. And I was thinking about this recently that then tends to carry over to when we then eat a meal out with friends and family. Like we always will just finish the plate of food. I know I'm definitely like that. Like I'm almost not even thinking about, am I hungry? Do I want to finish the rest of this meal? Because I've just thought to myself, I've allotted X calories and X amount of protein for this meal. And I'm going to eat what's on my plate. Do you find that's like inherently anything wrong with that? Do you think it's something where, if you're having a meal off plan, you should use that as an opportunity to listen a bit more to your hunger signals. Yeah, I think it depends. I think the fact that you're recognizing it itself means that it's probably not a big deal because you can kind of separate it from someone who doesn't even recognize it or someone who is doing that obsessively. It's probably not ideal. And I think the other thing to consider is if you've allocated a certain amount of calories towards that and you think eating the full plate is representative of that number, then like I think by eating the full plate, you are sticking to your goals despite not maybe not wanting that whole plate of food. Um, so I think for, it's very hard with bodybuilding because it is so extreme that I think any aspect of bodybuilding isn't particularly healthy, both mentally and physically. Um, sorry, not every aspect, but there are a lot of aspects of it, which to the average person wouldn't be particularly healthy, but there are certain ways to, to manage it like we all do. And I think to the average person, a lot of stuff that we do would certainly be be weird, like going to failure in the gym where our eye shot, eyes are getting bloodshot and getting to the point of feeling nauseous by eating so much food. But it's kind of the, the sport that we do. Yeah. And I guess there's this isn't like uncommon for a sport to be participating in sort of bizarre behaviors. If you think about it, right. Mm. You think of like UFC fighters in a cage, like these guys will beat guys and girls will beat themselves each other to a pulp. Right. And that's just the norm of the sport. That's what the sport is. And, and it's like cutting weight as well in, in acute yeah, time yeah, frames. Cutting weight, doing all of these, you know, really abstract things. And I think when it comes, comes to like an element of sport and competitiveness we take things to extremes within our sport and that's that's kind of what what it's about really really so i think when it comes to eating behaviors it, it's kind of what we do as well right at the end of the day and you would get someone who is you know your average well i don't like the word average but just a, perhaps a person that doesn't participate in strength sports or bodybuilding and they would look at the behaviors in which we induce and it's like, this is unhealthy. This is abnormal. You know, you, you, you're, if you're in that camp of intuitive eating and you look at the lifestyle and the habits that bodybuilders partake in for their desired sport, then yes, it's going to be seen as, as, um, as not ideal from a health perspective, but you know, it's, Hey, if we derive enjoyment from it and we love it, then, and it, and it provides positives, more positives to our life than negatives. then then, you know, I would argue is it less healthy? Like, you know what I mean? Like even from a, from considering of a mental standpoint and, and the sensation of like self-actualization and working towards a purpose that defines you, it's, um, yeah. Mm. On that point of like someone else, like looking in, you notice like a lot of people, like I know sometimes with like clients and stuff like that, like it'll even be like family members. They'll be look, they'll like look over it and they'll be like, you know, this doesn't seem healthy. Like, you know, especially when you're looking at bodybuilding shows, like I rock up at a family dinner and I'm like five weeks out. They're like, man, this guy ain't healthy. And it's like, but then they're sitting there overeating cows, like don't train at all. It's like, you know, 
like, like what you said, DC, it's like, you know, anyone looking out, like it's kind of hard to understand for a majority of them, unless you're kind of in that circle. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I've definitely had occasions where like I've, I've um, been on a call with my dad or seen my mom or just a family member, a friend that hasn't seen me for a long stretch of time. And all of us, all of a sudden I've lost, you know, 10 kilos or something like that. And I'm X amount of weeks out within a, within a contest prep. And they just look at you and go, mate, what's happened? Like, what is wrong with you? Your eyes are sunken in, you look gaunt, you're tired, Like, you cannot be healthy. Like what are you doing to your body? And it's like, look, I understand that from, I can, I can put myself in your shoes to look at me and go like, yes, there's going to be some element of concern. And you know, that's, that's kind of nice as well. Cause it means that someone cares about you and, you know, they care about your well-being and everything like that. But, you know, in the same token, we, we do take our bodies to, to that, to that level of extreme, you know, and, and I guess not everybody is going to have a, a true understanding of, of why we would do it and, um, and what it feels like. <laughs> well, I've got one more question that I want to kind of cover here before, before I wrap up my segment, it's pretty much like tips for maximizing the results in the off season. So I figure what we could do is maybe go like a tip each from all four of us and then yeah, wrap up my segment and then we can get into the Q and a, uh, I might throw it over to Lawrence first. What's one tip you've got for maximizing the results in the off season? I think I'll probably steal the low hanging fruit. Sorry, boys. Um, my biggest thing is going to be you're in the off season. You need to switch your mentality of getting lean. You need to stop worrying as much about the physical appearance of your physique. And you need to start to think more like a performance athlete. So crack that logbook out, make sure that your numbers are progressing, make sure that you're setting yourselves goals for certain lifts. And one thing that I think you can do is like set yourself a goal that maybe you're not actually quite sure if you're going to get. Like I remember sort of tentatively thinking, oh yeah, like hopefully I can do four plates aside on the SLDL and then you get there over time. And now I've even put on my story the other day, you know, 200 kilos is next and I don't know, like I sort of think about it, I'm like, far out, that's a heavy weight, but you will get there eventually. Like, don't put limits on yourself. And I spoke about this in one of my recent podcasts is like, you always think of yourself as like, oh, I'm the little natty guy and I could maybe do a couple of cool things in the gym, but like that mentality alone is going to hold you back. So when you're in your off season, just become an absolute animal in the gym, get as strong as you can with good execution and good programming because if you're a performance athlete for that large part of your career, obviously assuming your recovery and nutrition and your protein intakes all fine as well, then you're just going to put yourself in the best position to gain muscle mass. And especially when the mirror and the check-in images become a little bit harder to gauge of whether or not you're progressing, because in the prep, it's great. You know, every week you take photos and you're a bit leaner and your skin folds are a little bit further down. Maybe your girth measurements have come down a little bit more. Whereas in the off season, you know, those changes are far less apparent week to week. But if you can look at your book and you can get to the end of the block and all of your major movements, as well as your accessories in air quotes has progressed as well, then you can be pretty sure that you're moving in the right, right direction to actually put on some tissues. So that'll be my top tip is that stop that worrying one about- one tip or 10? <laughs> look, mate, I'm just all about adding say value. I'm just all about giving the listeners something to take away, so- yeah, train hard. I'm going to piggyback off that and basically say like, I think one of the, the biggest uh, factors that hold someone back in their off season, which is basically what, what you just said is B 
being emotionally attached to a certain body fat percentage and particularly like post post comp. So I'm sure all of you guys have ever experienced this. There's like a point within your contest prep where you get, you know, you start getting relatively lean and you start thinking to yourself, you know what, I could probably hold this like year round. Like it's not hurting that much. Like, yes, some of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit tired here and there, but I look awesome. My performance in my training is still, still pretty damn good. Like I could easily hold this. Right. And then a lot, what a lot of, a lot of the time happens is, you know, post post show uh, recovery phase, that person's body weight, you know, shoots up relatively higher than where they thought they could hold that, you know, year round. And they're still having symptoms associated with, uh, you know, reds relative energy deficit in sport. And it's like, oh my God, I'm a failure. Like I, I need to get leaner now, you know, and, and, it, and it's this emotional attachment to this leaner physique. And I think it's really important to be, to be mindful that your, the body fat by which you look your best is not going to be the body fat by which you perform your best. And, you know, just like you said, Lawrence, you're at this point in time, you're a, you're a performance athlete. And this is really where you're going to make the most, most improvement between stage showings. So if you're emotionally attached to getting leaner, well then, you know, guess what? The next time you jump on stage, maybe it, maybe it's easier to get to that, you know, lean physique because your body fat was lower, but I guarantee you the progress that you're going to make between seasons is going to be, you know, not, not as much as you would like. So yeah, very important that you focus on, on performance. Performance markers are generally a great, a great indication of, of increases in, you know, muscle mass, given that you maintain your movements relatively consistently, which is something we talked about a few podcasts back. But, you know, if you're getting stronger across most things, calories are slowing, slowly coming up as well. And you're ticking those boxes. You can almost guarantee that you're, you're building lean tissue within that process. And that should really be your focus within the off season. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence pretty much had his fingers in, I think about eight different pies there when he was trying to give one tip and he's just taken all the tips. I'm efficient, mate. I'm efficient. <laughs> I like that DC, like pretty much like one that I was going to say is uh, embracing the off season. Like you see a lot of people when they're trying to maximize their results and they're trying to cut more than they're in the surplus. And in the off season, that can be very problematic. Like, you know, you're trying to maximize the performance. And unfortunately, when you're in a deficit, if you're spending more time in a deficit than you are in a surplus, you're not truly going to be maximizing that performance. But since that one's pretty much already been covered by both you boys, my biggest tip after that would probably be logging your lifts. Uh, logging your lifts and, you know, tracking your nutrition in the off season when you've been meant to be in a surplus, be in a surplus, when you're trying to make progression across multiple lifts, you know, tracking your lifts. And that way, when you look back, you can see where you started and then how you're progressing. You know, if stuff starts slowing down, at least you have that logbook there, you can see, and you can be like, you know what, maybe I need to swap something here, maybe there. And then that way you can keep progressing when you're meant to be progressing. I think uh, a common theme for all of us is training because I'm going to talk about training as well. And I think that should highlight to the listeners how training is the thing that builds muscle ultimately, not necessarily your nutrition. And what I would say is treat every session as if it's your last, like not literally because you'd probably uh, reach uh, some high levels of fatigue very quickly. But what I see very often is people just lifting very submaximally on certain movements and it doesn't really change very much over time. So a good one, I think, is a leg extension where it often comes towards the end of a leg workout when they're a little bit more mentally fatigued. I'm sure they're physically fatigued as well, but they'll hop on that leg extension and it'll literally look like they have 10 reps in reserve. And you might have trained really hard at the start of the session, but don't let that uh, mental and physical fatigue stop you from training at a high intensity um, towards the end of the session. So keep on the lookout for that. 
Yeah, perfect. Some solid little tips there. Well, that wraps up my half. I figured we'll wrap that up here. Um, as always, leave a five-star review. Uh, we'll have the question box up each Sunday. And if you have some questions, throw them in there. Other than that, that's it from me.